1: Today we have back with us Anna Maria Manalo, and she's going to talk to us about her new book, Night Visitants. And who's not with us is her co-author, Tom Conwell. He couldn't make it today. Um, We have had Anna Maria on before, and Anna Maria writes uh, about creative, nonfiction, supernatural and paranormal suspense with a historical background. Basically, what I'm saying is these stories are real (laughs) and her writing style is gripping. She's a fantastic writer and the stories she's writing are, to me, terrifying and especially because they are real. And this one we're talking about today is uh, The Night Visitants, which is a ufologist who meets an experiencer and unravels the beliefs when um, her accounts reveal an unholy origin in the form of a haunted weapon from Nazi Germany. So that'll tell you the the story I just read. (laughs) And she does. She scares me to death. So people who love to be scared will love her work. And and her writing is gripping. I mean, I I can't. As much as I want to run away, I (laughs) can't. <laughs> no, you can't. Say. <laughs> yeah. Anna Maria, thanks for being back again. I do love your stories. I'm just scared to death of them.
2: <laughs> thank you, Barb. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here once again. Um it, you're a wonderful host, and I have to say, oh, a great interviewer. Um, Yeah, this is an interesting book and I want to let you know that it's quite a privilege to be here to talk about this one. Um, My co-author was pretty much the person who provided me the content for this book. Um, Mm -hmm. And if if you want to start with that, I have to tell you the origin of how this book got written. Okay, good. And Tom's a
1: uh, ufologist and a paranormal investigator, right? Uh,
2: Tom began as a paranormal investigator. As a matter of fact, his son has an active paranormal group, as we speak. Uh, he mm-hmm. invited his dad in, and together with another gentleman, they formed the Paranormal Society of New York, or New York Society of Paranormal Um, Mm -hmm. What they did was they investigated haunted locations, they pinpointed places that um, were haunted that people could get help for. Uh, And eventually, Tom, when he retired, branched off and became a ufologist. So Mm -hmm. Tom went on to write several books, as a matter of fact. Um, One is called They Are Here, uh, to talk about people who have been abducted or who have witnessed UFOs, Um, and it was in the course of Tom talking about his books and his own experiences uh, that I got riveted to his stories, his personal stories, and Barb, Mm -hmm. I've known Tom for a number of years now. Uh, We've actually never met in person, but he started researching experiencers, what they call abductees mm-hmm. and I believe what happened was he sent out a questionnaire uh, which I talk about in the book and yeah. in the process of sending out 50 questionnaires about five people stood out mm-hmm. and Tom looked through the files that he got from them all their information discovered that they had a phone number that they provided And he pursued it, he started calling them by phone, interviewing them. One of them who actually gave them a brief response, didn't really give him much information, became the most intriguing one. So to just go back uh, to last year, as he and I were talking, and this is probably before Thanksgiving, Paul, uh, Paul, Tom mentioned to me uh, one of those experiencers. And he said that he had been talking to her on a regular basis, trying to help her, because apparently something was going on in her house. So as the story went, as we talked on the phone, he began telling me that there were these entities that were visiting her on a regular basis and taking her. I became very intrigued. And on top of that, I also had Tom's story. So I proposed writing a book about it. Um, We decided we would try to put together something that was the semblance of a memoir, which is usually the type of stuff I write. I I write biographies, accounts of Mm -hmm. people, and I try and write it as if it's from their point of view, which is why I call it a memoir. Uh, The book that you have in your hands is both. It's both biographical, and I also try to get into the person's head, try to understand their point of view, and talk as if it's coming from them. This particular book is about two people. One of them is about Tom, my co-author, and Mm -hmm. the other one is about this woman who won't divulge who her real identity is, she has given us written consent uh, with the caveat that we never use her real name or disclose her location. Uh, and so as this you name read, that you
1: so, use is not a real name, but you use no. Tom's real name.
2: Yeah, Tom's real name, yeah. Yeah, because of Tom's experiences, are very, very positive. Uh, he did not really withhold much, but in the process of trying to help this woman, what readers will discover is that sometimes we get way too close to what is happening so that our lives become contaminated by what is happening. And I'll tell you, Barb, this is probably today the most frightening book I've ever written. It has scared me
1: to death, too.
2: Yes. and I'm glad I'm not alone. I'm glad it happened to you, too. No, no, not at all. And, and you know, it's very difficult when you're interviewing someone who is Mm -hmm. going through it and interviewing someone who has talked to them for a number of years. You feel the fear in their voice. And you yourself, because as you're writing their account, kind of end up being very close to the information. Mm -hmm. By the time I got halfway through the book, I realized that what I was dealing with was not something that began as an abduction in the sense of like a an alien from a UFO. And and Barb, maybe you got the flavor of it having read part of the book at this point. Then halfway um, through.
1: And I'll, I'll yeah. finish it, no matter how much I'm scared, because of your writing is
2: so good. You
1: know, oh, thank I, you.
2: I have to finish it. <laughs> the, the part that scared me about this was that in the middle of writing the book, there is one particular episode in her life where something entered the room. Uh, and this came, people ask me all the time, where did this come from? How did this begin? And you know, I'm not a paranormal investigator, but because I am a researcher, and because I am professionally trained to interview, the first questions I do ask of people is, how do you think it began? For her, she felt it began because her father brought home a gun that was used during World War II by a Nazi. She was only about five, six years old at the time when her father finally revealed that he had brought home some souvenirs from World War II. Her dad was in a tank battalion and during the closing months when Germany had fallen, The Americans were sent to particular parts of Germany to pretty much, quote unquote, finish what had already been begun. Mm -hmm. And the men entered and it was just rubble. It was a building that already been bombed. There were dead bodies strewn all over the place. They were part of a tank battalion. And he came out of the tank with a couple of his comrades to forage for food. And as he did so, he encountered the remains of the kitchen with rotting fruit, you name it, stale bread. But they were so hungry, they took what they could. One of his companions strayed to the other side of the building and they overheard him screaming. So her father rushed over with another soldier and they found a Nazi who was dying. He was lying kind of like against the wall. He was bleeding, but he was alive. He happened to be reaching for a gun. And the kind of gun they called it was a Luger. I guess that's what the brand name would be of this gun. And he reached for the gun. And in the process, Shailene's father stepped on the gun, retrieved it, and shot the man point blank in the head.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: It does get very graphic. Apparently, he decided he would keep the gun, and he ended up putting it in a duffel bag and stowed it away and brought it back to the United States. It ended up, of all places, in their family's apartment. And because Shailene, who was a young, very inquisitive, very curious little girl at the time of of six, uh, stumbled upon it when she opened the family's pantry. So later that evening, when the father came home, he took the Luger out. And of all places, don't ask me why he did this, Barb, because I I am still stumped. He went up into the crawl space in the ceiling right above the girl's bedroom, right above the bed, and stowed it away in there because he didn't want the children to touch it.
1: I understand that part. What I don't understand is him doing it in front of her. So she knew it was there.
2: Yeah. That part was like, you know, it's like a tease. And and I think, you know, (laughs) when you have a six-year-old who's curious about something, and then they see that it's a weapon, they kind of wonder what it's about. And then the next Mm -hmm. thing you know, all kinds of strange things are happening. Yeah. And one of the most frightening things is apparently the gun was a very violent object. It was haunted. And that's... What she thought began all these things. And and she's now in her 70s and it's still happening. And so that, so they used, did she ever take the gun with her?
1: At one point, the house burns down and yeah. um, the
2: gun burned with it. Um, she thought the gun burned with it. And by then, I think she was in her late teens, early 20s when something happened to the building that they were living in. What I understand is that she thought it was gone, but apparently the father, and this is the strangest thing, he retrieved some things from the house. And one of the things he retrieved was what was in the crawl crawl space. And that gun was in the crawl space. It ended up with her sister. Mm. The youngest child.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I I don't know um, what is currently happening at this point with the rest of the family, but I do know the gun survived.
1: That Okay, because I hadn't gotten to that point that it okay. had survived, and I was thinking, well, now they're attached to her because I did get to the point where Tom interviewed her when she was in her 70s. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so, and that she's still had these beings or these visitations with her. And um, I didn't know the gun had survived. Did it, did her sister and brother also see these entities or just her?
2: They, they, when they too- were younger, it was all three of them from what I understand. Uh, she didn't really know what was going on until she overheard the account from her dad. Um, The brother kind of like knew just because they were both pretty much, I guess, old enough to understand that there were some really terrifying things happening in the house. They grew up with it. Eventually, the sister grew up with it. But it's one of those things where you kind of take it for granted, because even in first grade, something had pushed her down Hmm. the fire escape. And she had no idea what it was, but she just knew that almost every night something was going to happen. So she lived as a terrified child. Yeah. 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 She turned
1: out pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the 70-year-old seemed pretty grounded, but still very guarded in talking about any of this. Well, she lived with it for 50 years. Yeah. 60 years. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And and I think it's because the neighborhood that she was in was very conservative. She was known by everybody because it was a small town. And I, I think part of the secrecy is too is she doesn't know how her children is going to receive it until much later when they were fully grown. Did she tell them? Um, The sad part about this whole thing is that as she grew into a young woman and got married, there were some things that isolated her. And and that's the tragic part, the strangest part to me. There's a scene where she was riding in a car with her fiance. And the fiance was en route to her parents' house. At this point, the parents had moved outside of the town, they were older. And Shailene was in the process of getting married. She was engaged to this gentleman who was driving the car. And as they proceeded out of the town, they were coming out of a bar where they had met with friends for drinks. He started entering the wooded area to get to the parents' house and something just hung on to the back of the car. Something just pulled at the car. It was so strong, the engine was fighting it. They had no idea what it was. And then he looked at the rear view and told her, whatever you do, don't look. I mean, instinctively, we want to know what's going on. I, I was
1: going to say, how could you not immediately look? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and but I think she may have been because of her history. She might have been, I don't want to know, I don't, yes. you know, just because of her history.
2: That's a good idea because you know what, if I were her and I had been living through this in my childhood, if someone told me, you know, you don't want to know what's back there, you probably don't want to, you'd had enough. You're like all the way up their chin with all Mm -hmm. these kinds of uh, things that are happening to you. You can't make meaning out of it because there's no one to talk to. She wasn't close to either of her parents. She couldn't mm-hmm. really tell them what was happening. They were cold for bit, for some reason. They had always mm-hmm. been standoffish and cold and unsupportive. So when this started happening, the fiance told her just sit forward, let me take care of it and so on. And then they finally parked at the parents' driveway and that's when things got really, really strange. Mm-hmm. She felt something by the door and, he, and she closed her eyes and he said, Whatever you do, don't look. And she said, Where is it? It's right outside your door, your passenger door. So she Ooh. started leaning against him, and the next thing she knew, he was trying to strangle her. Hmm. And this is the fiance.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So and it was when,
1: but it wasn't him. It
2: was and, this and I, I don't know if it was him, whether something possessed him. Uh, there's been a lot of theories about what might have happened she herself doesn't understand how something that was outside the door suddenly got a hold of her husband. And, and she the way she explained it to me, it somehow got a hold of his brain. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a, a nice young man who was just very kind to her, very gentle. And then suddenly he was strangling her. So she was fighting him off, fighting him off. And then the parents were coming out to the driveway at this point and the driver's side door swung open and he fainted. He just fell right out of the car. Whoa. So <sighs>
1: everybody knows why I'm terrified now, right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I, I don't know, Barb. But there know? were marks on the car too. So this thing was also physical because yes. there was marks on the car. There was scratching and scraping and pain off on the car where it had clawed at the car
2: yes and and that's the strangest part when i started telling other people as i was writing this i was you know telling friends mm-hmm. and they said could this be i'm Sasquatch you have any friends after this? <laughs> 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 and, and they said this is bigfoot you're dealing and i said no it's not quite that because it, what is it that got inside the car that caused the fiance to try to choke yeah. her? Bigfoot doesn't do that, and he never yeah. got inside the car. when they finally did wake him up, they shook him and tried to get him into consciousness, they in turn contacted her, you know his parents mm-hmm. and they wanted to know what made you do that to your fiance? He said, "I have no recollection. I don't know." yeah. And that's when they went to the back of the car and they saw claw marks, like as if something was really trying to scratch its way in, into the roof of the car. And on the glass, you saw all these scratches on the glass and on the hood, on the trunk of the car, there were several scratches. It just held on. And and she doesn't understand why it did that. But I will give you a clue as to my own personal theory about what this could be. Oh, good. Because I was going to ask you, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) What do you think this is? Okay. So in the process of interviewing Shailene, and this took about maybe a couple of months before I finally started writing it.
1: So you interviewed her directly as well. I know Tom had interviewed her and I didn't know if you were getting your information through Tom, but you actually interviewed her as well.
2: Yeah. So going back to when Tom and I talked, he told me about her and that he encouraged her to get in touch with me because it seemed like she was ready to talk. Mm -hmm. There was a number of people who were contacting me because I freely gave my email address to get personal accounts. Um, Mm -hmm. One of them asked for my phone number and I have a phone number, especially for people to share their accounts. So I gave that to her. I didn't even know that this young woman who called me, she had a very young voice. She called me one afternoon. Uh, We were talking and she was admiring my books. And the next thing you know, I found out she was the experiencer that Tom was talking about. Yeah. We had been talking probably for a couple of weeks by then. And so I said, well, you know, if you're ready to talk about it, I'm very open to it, you know, and and we did some arrangements. I had her sign off on an agreement. And one of the things I discovered with her is that she, you know, shares all of it like rapid fire. Because it was almost like a dam that had just burst. I Someone was thinking
1: just, that after holding yeah, on to all of this for so for long. so
2: long. they have for,
1: somebody to talk to.
2: Yeah. From decade to decade, it was just one right after the other. And then I was, I don't tape things. I write them in notebooks because it's easier for me to remember it uh, in a chronological order of how it flowed. So Mm -hmm. as I was writing it, I was also writing my impressions on the margins. I never met with her in person, though, Barb. I I only talked to her extensively on the phone. She's probably, I would say, at least three and a half hours from me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, as the conversations got more and more involved, it, it started to get to the point where I felt like I needed to get someone to reach out and help her. Yeah, and that's when it became very frightening. Um, I felt like she so was did, helpless.
1: Yes. So Tom had talked to her before she had contacted you as well.
2: Oh yeah, Tom had known yeah. her for a few years, yeah. uh, and had yeah. been dealing with what to do to help this woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would text him. She would call him. She would tell him what had happened the night before. Uh, and he felt very powerless. He -hmm. didn't quite know, you know, how, how helpful people would be if her own neighborhood didn't even know, because it wasn't something that she felt she could share. Um, Mm -hmm. she didn't want to call attention to herself. So Mm -hmm. that was part of the issue. So by the time I came on board, he pretty much knew the entire story. Mm -hmm. So when she was telling me this, She was telling me just everything, one right after the other. And then we got to that point, which now I'll come back to. After the car incident, they had a separate drive. And I think this was on a different road. It was a very rural road. Mm -hmm. They had farms right and left. They had fields. It started to get a little bit on the side of late afternoon, but enough light. And he had been driving and talking to her. She started looking past him. At a red barn that was on the side of the road. And next to the red barn. Was a creature that was as tall as a man. And it looked like a large reptile. And it had some kind of belt with weapons on it, kind of like a gun belt. Mm-hmm. But what she thought was strange were its eyes. It was staring right at her. It looked very malevolent. And from what I could recall, she she was very terrified of it, mm-hmm. even, even now. It had lobster claw for hands. Gosh. I've never heard of anything like that, but when she told me that the first thing that came to mind was the scene with the car and the scratch marks, I kind of put two and two and figured, I think this is the one that rode in the back of your car and was trying to get in with its lobster claws.
1: Oh, my God. So now, you know what? I wanna I wanna ask you what you think it is and how you helped her, but I want to take a break now because otherwise no break. (laughs) So let's take a quick break. Okay. We'll be right back to find that out.
0: Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. One thing's for certain life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit a view through the to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You are listening to Metaphysics A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. You may also send an email to a view through the veil at com. Now back to the show.
1: Hi, we're back with Anna Maria Manalo. Right, Manalo? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we're talking about her newest book, uh, Visitants. And we had been talking about uh, the woman in the book that has been getting. Uh, well you got to listen to the first half to know <laughs> so um but i wanted to ask you 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 started to tell me and i interrupted you what do you think this is her visitors what are they well, who are they uh,
2: i think what started to me and this is just my opinion of course it sounded like there was a haunted object In the form of a gun that elicited some entities that were more of the variety of i would say demonic to be introduced into the house whatever they were followed her and it was her that was i'm going to close my door here um whatever it was followed her uh into her first dwelling Followed her into her grandfather's house, uh, and whatever it was had quite an influence on her husband. It was so bad um, that it just kind of destroyed her marriage. Um, it affected her health. Uh, it also uh affected the animals that she chose to adopt. Mm. Later on, she told me that she thought her children knew, but she wasn't sure. She never really explained to them because she tried to shield them, tried to protect them from whatever was happening. And obviously, in the nighttime, whatever was happening was happening only to her that she could tell. Yeah. What do I think it is? I think it's obviously demonic in origin. I think that what she saw that was standing by the barn that afternoon, some people interpret it as being an alien, a reptilian, because of the way it looked. It had scales. It was standing upright like a humanoid. uh, But it had a gun belt. It was obviously not an animal. Uh, And the way it looked, it looked very malevolent and it had it had scales. But the strangest part about this barb that doesn't compute is that it's its not so much its feet, it was booted, but its arms and its hands were lobster claws. And I think before the break, I mentioned that I put two and two, that whatever this creature was standing by the barn was the same one who was trying to claw its way in that was riding in the hood of their car because of the scratches. Mm-hmm.
1: I that don't know sense, if anyone
2: Yeah, yeah and, and I don't know if anyone ever looked at the car and then questioned her about what she saw because she never told her husband what she was seeing. He turned to her and said, Are you looking at me? And she was actually looking past him. But she didn't want to tell him what she was looking at because she was afraid it would influence him again. Mm-hmm. so I think boy, what a secret to
1: keep from your future yes, husband
2: <laughs> exactly and, and and the thing of it is Barb, the most frightening part about this is because he's not really sharing everything with her and she feels that she would just be ridiculed if she tried to tell him they were pretty much isolated in that way they couldn't support each other and while she Which was seeing kind of this...
1: the parents too. You
2: know, it's yes.
1: kind of the relationship with the parents. Yeah. Of of not being open.
2: I just thought it was very strange that the father, um, you know, had never been affected by these visitations, mm-hmm. let alone the mother. If they were affected, they were affected in a different way. I think they were kind of almost like, I don't know, possessed. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So hmm so to answer your question it, it it began as an infestation it had everything that smelled of something supernatural yeah. something that yeah. was totally malevolent and then what happened as it progressed I could not begin to explain to you I mean Tom was telling me all these things that were happening and then finally one day he started getting photographs from Shailene she Mm -hmm. would text him pictures of herself with bruises all over her body she had contusions that in places that was not possible for her with her being inflicting it because she was living alone at this point in time Mm -hmm. the husband was gone the children were grown she was living by herself and he asked her and delved into what kind of help she would need, she refused it because she didn't think he could help her. a few weeks later. he woke up he had bruise a huge bruise in his eye.
1: Oh my God,
2: you asked me if these things could attach themselves to you. Mm-hmm. He texted me and sent me a picture of himself with a bruise in his eye, and this was a few weeks after. He was trying to reach out to help. And she had also sent me a picture of herself with bruises on her back. And Barb, this is when I stepped away from the book. Because the (laughs)
1: Stepped away, ran away.
2: (laughs) I, I was in the midst of writing a chapter that was equally frightening. It had something to do with... Someone visiting, visiting her in the night that caused her to levitate over the bed. Oh Wow. And the room suddenly got very cold. I was writing by myself. I was alone in the house. And I was seized with a feeling that I had to get to a church somehow. So I did. I closed the laptop. I got out to the garage, rolled the car out and and drove and felt like I needed to get inside a church. Wow. there is a chapter in the book where Tom was so close to the situation. He had a dream that was very different. Tom's story is very benevolent. His his character, his life was more on a tangent of positive things, of self-discovery of his place in the world, Mm -hmm. what his role was in it. This is a total contrast to his life.
1: Right. This is why, you know, I want everything to be happy, happy out there, nice entities, you know. And to hear the demonic and the violence and the hate that can come in as well, it's terrifying.
2: So it's dualistic, Barb. I mean, we've got Tom on the one hand, and then we've got Shailene on the other. But then it crossed over to Tom, and that's when things started to take a very nasty turn. Uh, And with me just sitting back here from a distance listening to their stories, I started to get affected. So I I literally put the laptop down for about a week. Uh, I consulted and reached out to an exorcist. I also Mm -hmm. reached out to a paranormal investigator who was very seasoned. I talked to a woman who was a medium. uh, And in the process, I gained some insight. And someone shared with me, the exorcist, a series of protection prayers that I was to recite before I wrote them. And so with that, by the close of the week, I was saying them, and then I had the courage to turn on the laptop again and keep writing.
1: Did that ever happen again where you had to get to a church? Or you felt like i have been attached or violated?
2: I I felt like there was something that had entered my bedroom one night. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And and I think that was basically something that I had to deal with in the dead of night. Um, I had to turn on all the lights and I had to say the protection prayers in earnest. Mm -hmm. And as I did that in the course of the night, within 30 minutes, it was gone. So I proceeded to go downstairs and light the candles. I actually had an altar in the house Mm -hmm. and I stood by the altar as if, you know, it would protect me. And it did, Barb, it, it, it did. So it never happened again. Thank goodness. I was able to finish the book, but I was very mindful of the fact that I had to be able to protect myself before I proceeded. And I
1: have to say, when I'm reading the book, I'm afraid, am I calling them in? You know, am I opening the door here that I don't want to open?
2: Yeah. And I think it's important, Barb, that whatever religion you believe in, that believe with it in a very strong faith, say the prayers of protection that you knew as a child, and and do that if you're feeling uncomfortable, if you're feeling something is entering your particular bubble of protection. I mean mm-hmm. that's more important.
1: I don't feel but, like something's coming in, it's just fear, you know. Yes. which is I kind of feel like fear is can be dangerous right there. You yes. Know, fear. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because they're attracted to that, your energy that you send forth. And by the fact that you are interested, draws their attention that you're interested. But if they know they're not being invited in, then that would be enough to repel them. That's what I was told.
1: Mm -hmm. How about Tom? Because, again, I didn't get through the whole book. Here's one thing Mm -hmm. I want to
2: know very quickly.
1: Are those protection prayers in the book?
2: I can share with you some of the protection prayers. First. One <laughs> that I will share here um, is the prayer to St. Michael the archangel, because I was raised as a Roman Catholic. That to me, me is too. a very potent yeah. prayer. The other prayer that I would recite is the Our Father. And the third one is the prayer that Padre Pio had prayed. Um, that one I don't have memorized to heart, but I do have that in written form and I recite that. Um, I've made it kind of like a practice to do that. Every time I start writing a book that I know is on the negative side.
1: Right. Yeah. Tom's story what's the is a prayer to what's a prayer to St. Michael. Is it long or short?
2: Well, it, it starts with, uh, St. Michael, the archangel protect us in battle. Um, It's one of those prayers that you ask him to intervene in protecting you against anything that's a demonic force or any type of an entity that you construe could be a a minion to something higher. Um, it, It became very real to me that we were actually dealing with these things, and they are very much in the forefront of things that are happening that are chaotic and violent today. Mm-hmm. Um, it, in, in these two people alone, I sensed an internal battle, uh, with Tom's ability to draw positive things, this woman introduced something that was more of a negative, uh, be- mm-hmm. being, I'm not blaming her by any means. I'm not right. you know right. saying that it was not a good idea to connect with her. I think she needed help. I think she was trying to make him know what was happening to her in ways mm-hmm. he could understand. And he saw it as a ufologist. Um, I myself saw it more as a supernatural infestation, but that's just because right. of the way I was brought up in the experiences I had. Mm-hmm.
1: Now Tom on the other side was um, in his work as a ufologist, he mm-hmm. was trying to draw in an experience for him with the UFO. UPA, yeah. whatever they call UAP. They call yeah, it now, UAP. UFO.
2: Yeah. 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 With Tom. So he was, was on more... a different
1: track, but calling yes. in at the same time.
2: Yeah. Tom was on the trajectory of trying to reach out to ETs. To otherworldly life forms. And he was told he could do that by being in a group that was actually a Facebook group. Uh, But then in a dream, he was told, You don't need to be meditating with a group of other people. You could do this, just ask, just sit by yourself and ask. So Tom did this for several months. And then by the end of it, when his book was ready to upload, they understood him as a pattern researcher. They made it so that they made their appearance on the evening of the night that he was going to upload this book on Amazon. And he did a series of three. It was almost every eight months he would upload a book. So it was every eight months they showed up.
1: Hmm. In, I uh, him, was- <laughs> in him asking um, them to show up, was mm-hmm. he opening the door to the demonic as well?
2: I don't. You know, know that, that door.
1: You... Once it's open, is it open?
2: <laughs> well, I, people always say to me, and I know from my personal experience, if you're receptive to something that's an outside influence, your own energy, if it's a positive one and the intention is positive, draws only the like attracts like. So, if your energy is positive and you're seeking something positive, positive will come to you. Um, if someone chooses to open a portal to the negative, a lot of times it's because they unwittingly, without realizing it, are opening an invitation to something negative. Like mm. in the case of Shailene with the gun. I mean, and and she didn't know she was. I was going to say,
1: six-year-olds can't be more innocent. Yeah.
2: Really? Yes. Yeah. And so she was more a challenge to these creatures to invade and to destroy, because her innocence probably was something that was like a spiritual, um what is Beacon the name, of kind it? of thing. Yeah. 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 And 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 it's a shame because in retrospect, when you think about it, things could have been different if that had not been brought back.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, and it's amazing that her father and maybe he did feel it and never said a word. You know, that's the other thing I thought about. Since they weren't communicating at all, and probably not even communicating between the two of them, like Shailene did with her own marriage, maybe they were experiencing more than they said. Yeah, of the negatives. But then again, he would have gotten rid of the gun. Yeah, you know. He would have gotten rid of it. I, so now I think he, maybe. Yeah. I'm go I'm ahead. sorry, go ahead.
2: No, I was thinking that maybe the mother kind of knew, but didn't want to share with them what she knew. Mm-hmm. Um, the sense I got was somehow the father was he was he himself maybe possessed? Was mm-hmm. there something about him that would draw something? You know, he was in a very traumatic war. I mean, all wars are traumatic, right. but he saw people who who died who were his comrades and i mm-hmm. wonder if that did something to him
1: and he talked about well he he shot this guy point blank i mean you know that that's got to do something yeah. you know and and his attitude was they have they being you know the german you know uh-huh. army have created, have killed my friends, have, have made me come here, have, mm-hmm. you know, the, the anger, the hate at that point when he mm-hmm. actually shot was the emotion he had, mm-hmm. you know, which I can kind of understand. And in, in, after what he had gone through, because he, he, does talk, uh, or uh, it is uh, revealed some of the experiences he had, and they were mm-hmm. very traumatic. But mm-hmm. but how did you help, Shailene? You said what you did to help.
2: Well, I Tom and I were both kind of stumped. Uh, at some point, he had, it started to affect his health. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I showed that in the book because pretty much Tom was an open book, so to right. speak. Uh, and what happened is his health deteriorated. He ended up with a major heart attack. He was told to distance himself for the sake of his family. So for a period of time as he recovered, uh, he had to give away his cell phone to his wife so that he couldn't have any contact at all with any experiencer, not just Shailene. Um Who told him to came...
1: distance, though? Was it the entities or a doctor?
2: I tend to believe that the entities that Tom met up with who were American Indians in origin, were more protective of Tom. Mm -hmm. They had been there and they had been sharing with him all these things about the planet and what Tom's role was in it. When he started delving into the experiencers' answers and the questionnaires and connected with them, that's when things started to turn more on the negative side. And that's when he became obsessed. And in becoming obsessed, his health started to deteriorate. Mm -hmm. And then when he started getting photographs and, you know, almost daily contact with the one Shailene and a few others, it continued to become something that was more, it was draining. It was draining his energy. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that because, um, In the final analysis, as I was closing the book, I reached out to Shailene as much as Tom did, and I offered to her a couple of interventions that people could do. I actually reached out to two different organizations to let them know a dilemma that this woman was facing. But I think, you know, through time and all those years of being a victim, Shailene herself doesn't know how not to be a victim.
1: So mm-hmm. she can't close that door kind of No. Thing.
2: She can't yeah. close the door, and my estimation is that if someone were to come there it might be too late. I hate to say it. But mm-hmm. it might be in fact too late.
1: Oh my god, that's terrifying. And did they get rid of the gun? Did they eventually get rid of the gun? <laughs> <laughs>
2: That is a million-dollar question. Really? Yeah.
1: Wow, you don't know, huh?
2: I, I don't know. I don't know if Tom knows. Shailene has known Tom longer than I have. I came mm-hmm. into the picture to write the book. Um, oh, yeah. I see my role as being over at this point, uh, but Shailene continues to contact Tom, and there was a lot of information she had shared with him that wasn't shared with me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um now how can Tom stay in connection with her when it's so damaging to him? I mean it's yes. lousy to say yes. you know, get away from that woman, but you know, it's so damaging to him.
2: Yeah. And I think that Tom's lesson that he learned in this one is to kind of like sit back and realize that. There are some things that just need to be the way they are. Mm-hmm. And I think part of his frustration was that he felt very helpless. Right. And by feeling helpless, he was draining himself. Mm-hmm. And I think at this point, he's just listening. He's just an ear. He's just there he to support. Give her Just to give her a lifeline, basically. Yeah. 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 And I think the book for her served kind of like as a way to let out what has been kept a secret for so long. All three children know now, my understanding is that they are supporting her. She started a support group for experiencers way back in 2013. Um, They have disseminated now. But at least there's friends that are supportive, that right. understand what is happening to her. So that's an Did she find
1: people that that is happening to as well? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. She did. So yeah. it's more widespread than I want to know about.
2: <laughs> right. And that's what yeah. she told me in the last text message she told me. It was more common than I thought.
1: Wow. Yeah. Whew. I know exorcisms are on the rise. Is it more now or is it just coming out? Because I I know exorcisms, well, I don't know. I've read, you know, that exorcisms are on the rise. I mean, is it more prevalent now or is it just more people are more open now?
2: I think it's a little bit of both. I Mm -hmm. think that things are starting to come to a head where people are beginning to realize that there's definitely more out there than meets the eye. Yeah. I think that uh, there's a lot of people who don't believe in God more so than any other time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a major red flag. They, they are easily swayed. Uh, they There's something called discernment. And some people cannot discern when someone is trying to share that they're a leader, uh it could be someone who I would quote unquote say is a false leader i right. um and and the values the values are different, so there's so many things that are playing with people right now, and they don't know who to turn, and mm-hmm. they turn to the wrong things, and particularly. It's concerning what children are be- believing or choosing to do. I see a lot of things on the Internet about haunted objects being for sale, people wanting to be investigators with no idea what kind of risks they're entering when they do that.
1: Right. Right. That so is terrifying.
2: It, you know, it's, bar- it's alarming. It's alarming yeah. to me.
1: It's terrifying to me straight up. And I'll have people say, uh, well, who's around me? You know, it's like, like anybody, they're willing to open to anybody or anything.
2: And Mm -hmm. I I just
1: say, I don't, I don't do that. (laughs) I will call somebody in that you specifically want to talk about, but we're not opening that door to whoever's floating around here. Right, right. (laughs) But mostly because there are so many low level chaotic spirits, but uh-huh. not as male I haven't seen that and I hope never to see that. You know, honestly. yeah. Um, yeah. that that hate. You know, that hate. But um yeah. I'm with you. There seems to have been um an ungrounding of the whole world. Yes, you know, and and it is frightening. But when we were talking about religion, well, what is your religion? You had said, depending on your religion, I was brought up Catholic. And Mm -hmm. yet now I my religion is more of a spiritual nature. So it's not so grounded. I feel like uh-huh. as uh-huh. The, as you were brought up Roman Catholic as well, so you know how uh-huh. how really grounded and and black and white that religion is. Yes, know? and yeah. and my religion now is not like that, which in uh-huh. a way worries me. <laughs> is it too you know loose?
2: <laughs> well, is
1: it too loose?
2: I think that my religion is very similar in the way you believe. Is that I was brought about as a Roman Catholic, on the other hand, I'm more I wouldn't consider myself subscribing to only one. I mean, I, I do believe mm-hmm. in reincarnation. I believe in karma. Right. Uh mm-hmm. I believe in a lot of things I didn't believe when I was raised as a child because, you know, we're exposed to only one thing. And one right. of the they things didn't I didn't yeah. they didn't allow it. Um and I think that what is concerning to me is that the Roman Catholic Church um doesn't seem to some of them not all of them believe in exorcisms they Mm -hmm. don't believe that there is a possibility that people could be contaminated by outside forces right um a lot of people that i see going into church go through the abstraction of the ritual they get caught in the ritual without realizing Mm -hmm. the significance of those rituals and how those prayers are prayers of protection. So right. to me, that's concerning. And, and I don't know what kids are thinking, you know, because if adults think that way, what are the children thinking?
1: Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. But the Catholic Church in the United States has kind of fallen apart to a certain extent with, you know, with all the scandals, with all of it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah. you know, they fallen apart and then they wonder about where we're going from one vibration into another vibration. It feels like in doing that, is there a fracturing of the fabric? You know, I think so. um, yeah, yeah. Or is that just my opinion that we're even going into another vibration? I know a lot of people have that opinion. And when I've looked at it, that's what I see
2: every time you introduce chaos into Mm -hmm. a stable environment, it undoes a lot of outdated beliefs, but it also creates the possibility of a negative upheaval. Uh, And when I talk about that, I talk about the rise in violence, all these guns, these things that are happening. There's obviously a lot of unrest, there's a lot of rage out there. Mm-hmm. And I think at some point people would come to terms about what the root causes are, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Um so when when you're when you're in a constant state of flux, mm-hmm. I think there's two reasons for it. One is to bring about positive change, but it's not always all positive and it always creates more of an upheaval be- before you see the positive change take place. I think that's what that's about. And, and I in hope this it book is a
1: positive change.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. and in Tom's case in in this book, you see him go through a lot of personal and spiritual upheaval. But then at the mm-hmm. end, the dust settles and you have a person that is totally new a different Tom yeah. with an insight that's much deeper than when he began.
1: Right. A much more expanded soul. Yes. Well, we're coming to the end and I've got to stop, although I could go another half hour easy. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but we are going to have to stop. I want to make sure everybody knows where to get hold of you and where to get hold of your books.
2: Okay. My books are on my website, com. Uh, you can also Google me. I'll come up on Amazon. I'm on Goodreads as an author. Uh, mm-hmm. The Night Visitors, UFOlogist, an experiencer, and the undefinable. Uh, just wanted to put a plug that it hit the Amazon charts in three different categories as number one for about wow. a couple of Congrats. weeks. Yeah. yeah thank you. Um I also have four other books. They're all on Amazon, so um the best way to get hold of me is either on Facebook. I am also on Instagram under the Sinister Archives and also on TikTok. Okay, and all under your name, right? Um Well, the Sinister archives would be TikTok as well as Instagram. Uh, mm. That is the name of my blog that is on my website.
1: Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, great. Okay, well, thanks so much for being on. It's fascinating, terrifying, so and fascinating. <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.